Hello, it's Friday 28th of January. I'm Hannah Pearson. Welcome to our annual Lunar New Year Travel Roundup show as Gary Bauman and I take a spin around the region to assess the state of travel and tourism as we prepare to welcome the Year of the Tiger. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello wherever you are in the world and thanks for listening in. So we are about to embark on the third successive Lunar New Year season or Chinese New Year or Tet if you're in Vietnam to be impacted by COVID-19. Today we'll tour vicariously around Southeast Asia to check out what is and what isn't happening in travel and tourism. But before we start Hannah, we listen back to last year's Lunar New Year podcast uh, which was posted on the 10th of February 2021. And the issues we discussed were quite similar, weren't they? There was there were some things that obviously were slightly different, um, but many of the actual topics that we discussed were probably going to be talking about the same today. Now, I picked out five quotes from that uh, particular episode. So let, let's go through those and, and see what you think of those. The first one was from me. Uh, and I said, most countries in our region set annual visitor targets. And if you can get off to a good start during the Lunar New Year in January or February, it kind of sets the scene for the year ahead or it used to. I guess we're still in that scenario this year. Yeah, absolutely. We are, aren't we? International travel is going to be, well, I think we, we, we all know realistically it's not, it's not going to be what it, what it was. Uh, it's not going to be 2020 levels or even 2019 levels, definitely not. And we're not going to see these uh, Chinese tourists, are we, coming in who we might normally expect to see in Southeast Asia at this time. That's absolutely true. They certainly give a boost to the tourism industry, as we said at the beginning of the year. The second quote was from you, Hannah. You said, this year, Chinese New Year means domestic travel only, but in future, we hope it will incorporate inbound and outbound travel once again. However, even in domestic travel in Southeast Asia, it is really, really limited for the holiday this year. It's a pretty pessimistic scenario. Now, that was 12 months ago. Uh, How do you look back on that? Yeah, um, a Groundhog Day, isn't it? I mean, it's again, isn't it? Like I was just saying, this this year it is all about domestic travel. This time we are in a slightly different place. So when I was listening back to our podcast from last year, actually a lot of domestic travel over Chinese New Year couldn't happen because last year we started to see this surge from the beta variant, and um, you know that disrupted travel in certain places. So domestic travel wasn't really permitted inter-regionally or inter-provincially. This year, that's different. No country right now, except for the Philippines, really has these uh, restrictions on domestic travel. So it's a little bit more optimistic, but pessimistic if we're we're saying, yeah, it's only limited to domestic tourists once more, isn't it? And then at the end of the show last year, we looked forward to this year. And there's two quotes here, one from me. I said, in terms of Chinese New Year next year, i.e. 2022, we might still be looking at domestic travel only. And you said, COVID-19 is still going to be with us for Chinese New Year 2022. And will people take the risk of risk of traveling overseas or decide to stay home? Uh, well, I guess we, we, look for, we got that right. The COVID-19 obviously is still, is still with us. We are looking at domestic travel. The issue of whether people would have traveled if they were able to it's kind of moot because there isn't really much international travel in the region. So, you know, how, how do we kind of sum that up, Hannah? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very similar, isn't it? Um, you know, looking in our crystal ball to 2023, we could probably say very, very 
similar lines, right? Is domestic travel um, going to be the only travel open for Chinese New Year 2023? I mean, I hope not. We are, we are starting to see this movement, and I think we'll talk about that um, a little bit later on. But it's, it's always a question mark, right? I, I think the thing about the pandemic has shown that the unexpected happens, and uh, you, you just can't bet on anything, can you? That's really true. The uh, volatility of the virus, we still don't know what, what turn this will take next. I think, as we were saying just off air before we came on, Hannah, you know, really at the moment, we can only plan quarter by quarter. I think governments can only really plan quarter by quarter. There have certainly been some learnings over the past year. We've certainly had vaccinations. We've had booster shots. Governments have, uh, do seem to have turned away from this, this blunt tool of lockdowns. Um, but we still have quarantines with, a, with us. So there's, there's, there's a lot to iron out over the coming months. But as you said, Hannah, there does seem to be the political will now to try and get things moving. And the political will is basically generated by economic necessity. All, all countries in the region need to get their economies regrowing again. And having them more open and accessible is part of that. And so, yeah, hopefully we will start to see some movement. But at the moment, it's uh, it's going to be slow progress, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move to the present then, shall we? <laughs> and um, I mean, let, let's kick it off by talking about Chinese New Year and, and what that means for the region. So as we have said in past podcasts, normally Chinese New Year, peak time really for the Chinese outbound market to come into Southeast Asia in particular, I remember, Gary, you saying on the podcast last year, it's traditionally because they they tend to choose more short haul, more medium haul destinations. So Southeast Asia kind of ticks that box. They tend to go to Europe for the October Golden Week later on in the year. And of course, there's no Chinese outbound tourists um, on the horizon. It is domestic. But as I was saying, you know, we are in a better position than we were this time last year, I think for sure. Uh, there are far fewer domestic travel restrictions. So we should see this pick up in in domestic tourism, which hopefully will will provide a nice boost to go into 2022. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. We'll do a a country roundup in a few moments, but it does seem that there is, uh, you know, positivity for domestic travel throughout Southeast Asia for this holiday. Um, Cases are rising. That is one of the things we have to be aware of. The Omicron variant is starting to to stamp its presence across the region. We're seeing cases rising, uh, Singapore particularly, Vietnam uh, for sure, Malaysia as well. Philippines has quite a high number. But but it does seem that governments are treating Omicron and the, the rising cases very differently than, than they did to Delta. And so as you said a minute ago there, Hanny, you know, we're not seeing the restrictions that we saw last year. It's just coming down to you know, what kind of travel are people going to do this year? Are they mostly going to see family and friends? They're both getting out of the getting out of the cities just to go back and spend the time with with, with family and friends. Um, are they traveling domestically? You know, in some countries, people are running out of ideas in terms of what they can do. The bigger countries, of course, not. If you're in the Philippines or Indonesia, there's just so many options. Uh, but here in Malaysia, you know, the, the the options for domestic travel are relatively limited, given the fact that we've that's all we've had for two years. So. I have a feeling that once the, the borders do reopen, there will be a, there will be a surge of activity whenever that whenever that happens, or however that happens. We don't really know how the borders will will be reopened. Whether that will be gradual. Sitting here now, compared to where we were a year ago, the the immediate future does look a little bit more optimistic. Yeah, I mean, you made a great point there. I think um, you know, with regards to people traveling back home and whether they're going to do that or whether they're get, they're actually going to take the public holidays and go traveling. Because of course, this you know last year Chinese New Year uh, reunions were pretty much cancelled across the region. So this will be you know a, a big occasion for people to be able to to go home and celebrate and reunite 
uh, with friends and family. So that could change travel patterns. You know, pe- people may well just choose to, yes, travel back home, whether that's perhaps by flight or they self-drive, and then just hang out with their family. And, you know, this, this family time, I think everybody has, has really grown to appreciate it, particularly if you are living in a different town to them, living in a different state, and you've not got to see each other very much the past year. 100% agree with that. Now, we'll, we'll come on, as I said, we'll come on country by country in a moment. Uh, and there does seem to be calls within the travel industries in each country in our region, much, much louder calls now to get borders reopened, to get travel moving again. Last week, we saw the annual uh, ASEAN Tourism Forum, where the tourism ministers from the 10 countries got together and said the things that they usually say, um, the fact that they're looking towards reopening ASEAN as a travel corridor to reboot uh, regional travel. And, and the statement they made said, The ministers noted that every possible coordination and cooperation will be provided so that the reopening process will be gradual and steady. We've heard this before, Hannah. We've heard this a lot. The machinery of governments in individual countries is very, very slow. The machinery across the region is even slower. But I guess the the key terms there that they said in their statement was the reopening process will be gradual and steady. So it does look like there's not going to be huge, quick movements. What, What do you think of that? Yeah, it's not going to be a big bang opening. But do you know what? I think we would be so surprised if, if ASEAN suddenly overnight announced an ASEAN travel corridor and free movement between all the different ASEAN countries that we'd probably fall off our chair, I think. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah, like you say, it's kind of expected every time all these ASEAN ministers get together, they always um, say these things. And of course, they make sense. In theory, of course, it makes sense to reopen ASEAN to other ASEAN countries, you know, not only from a tourism perspective, but just from a business perspective, all the countries are so interlinked. Let's hope that something more comes out of it. And I think it has to. We're at at the point now where you say, you know, borders are starting to open. Something has to come out of this now, eventually. A couple more talking points before we go country to country. One of those is Umrah travel, Hannah. There's been some on and off uh, movements there. Looks like the uh, the brakes are being eased off a little bit in, in some countries. Yeah, so this is a funny one. You, you've almost seen it ac- across multiple countries. So in early January, we had uh, countries like Thailand, countries like Malaysia, start to report that high number of pilgrims who had gone to Saudi Arabia to perform Umrah uh, were coming back testing positive for Omicron. Um, so that, of course, led to brakes being slammed on for Umrah travel. Yeah, much to the detriment of a lot of these small players. I think I've mentioned it before. A lot of these Umrah travel agents who are selling this, you know, that that is their main revenue channel. They can't really switch to domestic travel. They focus on traveling to Saudi Arabia. And when it when it's closed, it's closed. You, you can't get any revenue. Indonesia has also had a strange one. They were holding back off Umrah. And then suddenly they announced uh, that some pilgrims had left <laughs> to Indonesia. And then they had a really mixed message a weekend or so ago about saying, no, it was closed, but actually it wasn't closed. It was just the way that they were operating it. It's, it's a bit messy, basically. But Malaysia have announced that they're going to be reopening again from February. For Umrah, Indonesia is open for Umrah. So we, we're slowly seeing this this movement. And of course, you know, it, it is big business out from Southeast Asia to Saudi Arabia. Many, many programs who want to travel, who were unable to travel last year and who were, who were willing, you know, to spend that money to go on pilgrimage. The other talking point that we must not forget is that February the 1st next week uh, marks the one year anniversary of the coup in Myanmar. The situation is still pretty desperate there. I follow a lot of people in Myanmar on on Twitter and and the situation is is grave, it's grim and 
certainly is not improving in any way. We just wish the people of Myanmar the very, very best. We'd love to be talking more about Myanmar in travel terms because it's a beautiful country. And we would have been over the past year. I'm sure we would have been talking about it. But the situation there is, it's horrific to watch, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, week after week, I include it in my my weekly report. Not not really because anything is really happening tourism-wise, but I think I just feel this this loyalty, I think, to people of Myanmar to, to keep it included so that people know what is what is happening there and yeah it's it's a really difficult difficult situation I think for everybody and it doesn't look like uh, we've said it before but it, it doesn't really seem like ASEAN are going to help Myanmar get out of that situation either or help the Myanmar people get out of from there. So let's go country to country around the region Hannah and see what is and what isn't happening in terms of travel and tourism and shall we start in Singapore? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so Singapore, of course, uh, you know, as we were saying in our kind of year end roundup, uh, Singapore took that decision to suspend new bookings for their vaccinated travel lanes, their VTLs, just before Christmas last year. They have now resumed bookings um, at 50%. So they have kept this quota. And, you know, this is something actually I w- I've been a little bit surprised about because Singapore seems to have accepted the Omicron virus, they, they seem to be kind of handling it. So my expectation was that they would just reopen back at the, you know, the same quotas that they had in December. But it looks like they're taking a more calibrated approach. What's what's your take on that, Gary? Yeah, that's that's exactly what it looks like. We've said this before, the, the one benefit Singapore does have with its vaccinated travel lanes is they can be scaled up and scaled down. And they're obviously starting relatively low, as you said, this 50% cap. Um, but I, I think that if over the next few weeks, if, if, if things go relatively well, I, I can see that get, getting scaled up again. I think the interesting thing then is, do they choose to increase the scale? Was it, is it about 27 in total? There were, I mean, some of those were suspended or, or postponed. Or will they start opening up to other countries? I guess we'll have to wait and see on that one. But uh, yeah, I, I would say through this quarter, we will start to see more air traffic in and out of Singapore. Yeah, absolutely. And how about Singapore Airlines, Gary? I think you've been following what's been happening with them because, of course, they've, they're they so reliant on the international markets because they don't have domestic flights, do they? The thing is with Singapore Airlines is they they have huge operations, they have huge fleets, they have a huge number of slots at airline, airports around the world. So they've had to keep burning cash uh, and they've been raising a lot of money. They're very well capitalized. So they do look as though they will be able to to move into this new era pretty strongly for a national carrier. A lot of the national carriers in our region are in pretty dire straits right now, but Singapore Airlines isn't. Um, But yeah, it it just needs those capacities to be increased. It generally looks as though there will be some positivity, but it's going to be gradual. And I think the big news that, of course, has come out this week, and this is both for Singapore and Indonesia, is this start of uh, the Singapore-Indonesia Bintan Batam travel bubble. Though I don't know if we can really strictly call it a travel bubble, as Singaporeans still need to do quarantine on their return back to Singapore from the islands. But they can now visit Bintan and Batam quarantine-free. What do you make of that? It's a curious one, isn't it? I mean, Bintan and Batam, they're very close to Singapore. Um, they tend to be kind of weekend hangouts. You know, Singaporeans can get there very, very quickly uh, across the water. Um, but as you say, they still need to do a, a quarantine. They can travel to Bintan and Batam uh, quarantine-free, but when they return, they have to do their, their home isolation in Singapore, which, you know, kind of kiboshes the, the value of, of a weekend trip. Um, but, you know, I still think there'll probably be some strong demand. Singaporeans do want to get out and take take trips again. I guess it's it's a gradual movement towards Indonesia, making uh, travel more available. I guess uh, perhaps a good sort of pilot project. But 
in the bigger scheme of things, it, it's not going to make a huge dent, is it? No, not really. Um, but like you said, yeah, it, it, it's a step forward and we, we have seen Indonesia reopened Bali ostensibly, although nothing has really happened out of that. So this is really its first, its first significant move. And you're right, you know, Singaporeans do seem to have this excitement about getting out. We've seen reports in the media about Singaporeans booking ferry tickets, booking hotels, really keen to do it, even though they're going to have to undergo quarantine. So I think that also just really signals how pent up the travel demand is in Singapore, right? If, if they can get out, they will. <laughs> they just need to get out. Yep, agree. And the, probably the biggest news for inbound travel to Singapore, uh, this is great news, is that the Formula One Grand Prix is set to return for the first time since 2019. The race weekend is the 30th of September through the actual race day is on the Sunday, the 2nd of October. That's a great event. It's a street race, uh, one of the best Formula One events in the world, one of the best sporting events in, in Southeast Asia. Very, very popular, attracts a lot of people to, to come and visit. We don't yet know what the, the requirements were, will be in terms of traveling to that event. But it's great news that it's coming back and it's coming back for another seven years. Uh, Singapore signed another seven year contract. So the Formula One Grand Prix is returning. And I think that's a real big boost for, for everybody in the region because it's such a popular event. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was really pleased to, to see that news. And I think that's going to be great for Singapore. So should we move on to Thailand? Thailand, of course, very similar to Singapore. You know, at the end of the year, they had suspended new applications for the test and go scheme. And similarly to Singapore, they are now set to reopen that from the 1st of February. So it's going to be slightly different. You need to undergo two PCR tests uh, instead of just one. And, and the logistics are going to be a little bit more complicated there, I think. But it's a go again. Um, and so what that really signals, I think, is yeah, this, this change in attitude towards Omicron. Like you were saying, Gary, governments don't seem to be reacting quite so harshly. They, they seem to feel like it's, it's under control enough that they can reopen the international borders. Yeah, I mean, the Thai government is even now talking about this word endemic, which has so many different interpretations, but they're now talking about, you know, they may even start to remove a lot of the actual uh, protocols in terms of mask wearing, that kind of thing uh, in the coming weeks and months, really, really going going forward to uh, with their economy in a kind of way, I guess, compared to the UK, perhaps. Uh, but yeah, test and go is back. As you said, there are different protocols around it but it's you know it's it's basically the same quarantine free entry into the country it starts from february the first for application thailand's also introducing its its 300 thai baht tourism fee i think that starts in april is that right yeah i think that's meant to be april and of course there's always the usual i mean th this is an idea that the thai government have had for a while um introducing this tourist fee it's been 500 Thai baht, now it's 300 Thai baht. It's for different purposes. The purposes seem to shift each time. In the general scheme of things, will it put tourists off coming? Probably not. It's not, it's not really a huge amount. Um, I think just the question mark is around how will they collect it. So I think the airlines really want clarity from the government about how the government is planning to implement that, uh, particularly for airline tickets. And just really, will it start when, when it actually slated to start. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of pushback from people like Thai Hotels Association and everybody else saying this is the wrong timing. You know, we're just trying to recover tourism now and you're putting on this additional fee. But overall, I mean, I, I don't see it dampening um, tourism demand um, to a huge degree. Yeah, you can't really talk about Thailand without an update on the number of tourists they're looking for this year. And one of the economic think tanks which advises the government said that this year they think there will be a maximum of five to six million inbound visitors 
to Thailand this year. I think the previous numbers were somewhere around 10 million, but they think because the Chinese tourists won't be coming back this year, that the, that will depress the overall figure. So five to six million. Let's see how that changes across the next few months. Yeah, you know I love a good target from Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a lot more optimistic scenarios than that. Optimism is the word in the Philippines right now, Hannah. What's happening there? Yeah, that was a good segue. Um, so, yeah, news news from this week that the Department of Tourism um, Secretary is now asking the government um, to reopen the Philippines to vaccinated international travellers. So they almost did this last year, if you recall. They were going to open up to fully vaccinated um, travellers from their green list who had a visa-free agreement from the Philippines, if you can follow all of those different conditions. And they are looking to perhaps do something similar. So she was talking about a timing, March, April. They're, they are not always, the, the DOT in the Philippines are not always in the press really pushing for this, you know, reopening internationally. They, they're always talking a lot about developing the domestic market. So I think if they are now in the press talking about this and kind of giving a timeline, I think that there must be a lot going on behind the scenes. And hopefully we could see that happen. That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's a race, isn't it? It's quite clearly a race. Thailand has announced that it's reopening. Philippines now says that it wants to reopen, as you said, maybe in, in a couple of months' time. And let's move next to Vietnam, where pretty much the same discussion is, is ongoing there as well. Yeah, exactly. Moving on to Vietnam, where the tourism minister has proposed along similar lines. He wants Vietnam to be fully reopened to international uh, vaccinated travellers by the end of April. Um, and that's being supported by lots of tourism businesses this week. I think airlines and major tourism companies have signed letters to the prime minister urging them to do that, urging them to announce their reopening plans in February. Yeah, absolutely. So it looks like 30th of April. There, there's a slight subtext to this, of course. The Vietnam is hosting the Southeast Asia Games in May this year. Um, so that's kind of setting the framework for when Vietnam wants to open. I think it would have done this anyway, but that's kind of probably created this this urgency to get everything moving. But as you said, the, the interesting thing, I think, coming out of Vietnam is the fact that even if that is going to be the, the date, that they want to get all the, the processes and the, the announcements in place quickly so that the industry can prepare. Uh, of, of course, the organizers of the games can prepare and also anybody who's coming to to participate in those games as well can prepare and to know exactly what situation will be in front of them when they arrive. It's great news. And as I said, I think it, it looks like Thailand, Philippines, Vietnam, you know, there is now this race to reopen. Uh, and we move next to, to Malaysia, where we are, Hannah. And, and similar talk this week as well. There, there's talk of easing up on some of the protocols that, that are in place here. Uh, we now no longer will have to have our temperatures taken when we go into any kind of venue, whether that's a, a restaurant, an office, a hotel or whatever. That's going to be relaxed. Uh, it looks as though we may be moving towards having our borders open to some degree. I took part in a webinar this week called Exchange Malaysia, which looked at the business events scenario. And the, the CEO of uh, the Malaysia Convention and Exhibitions Bureau was the keynote speaker. And he noted how he's been traveling recently trying to promote Malaysia as a business events destination. He said he's been to conferences in Colombia and in the Netherlands. And he made a very specific point that in both of those countries, he didn't have to quarantine when he arrived, but he did have to quarantine, self-quarantine when he returned home to Malaysia. And he's a pretty influential figure. When you have somebody like that saying it in public, um, you kind of think that there is movement afoot. Yeah, I think that there is, isn't there? And, you know, the, the, like you said, the Prime Minister has hinted at this. And I think Malaysian border reopening, I, I really feel that this is going to be very strongly linked to the booster dose vaccination percentage. I think it's going to be very similar to 
how they decided to reopen domestic travel. They're going to put a target and say, okay, when our adult population is 80% vaccinated with booster doses, then we'll reopen the international borders. I can see some kind of target like that being set. And hopefully it comes sooner rather than later, right? Yeah, 100% agree with that. I think there will be a definite correlation between that. Malaysia has to be given certain commendations for the way that it ran its vaccination program last year, the way it's run its booster um, program over recent months has been very, very efficient. It does seem there's a huge take up for these booster vaccinations. So I agree with you. I think the, the situation is very, very different in this country than it was six months ago. And I think it's, it's getting ready to reopen. What that actually means, how it will be done, we don't know. But yeah, I would agree that there's going to be some movement uh, this quarter. God, I hope so. Yes, just from a personal point of view. Um, of course, in Malaysia, we've also had the, the kind of surprising news, I suppose, that two new airlines have also been approved. Um, so we have SKS Airways, who will be flying very short haul. So they're flying um, right now from Subang, so that's um, from Kuala Lumpur to Pankor Island, and they're planning to fly to some of the other islands. And we have my airline, which has also been um, approved for an air license. I'm not too sure on the launch date for that yet. And that's, again, it describing itself as an ultra low-cost carrier. Um, so the competition is going to be intense in the aviation scene for Malaysia for this year. There's going to be a lot of cost cutting, which, of course, is great for consumers. If that's so beneficial for the airlines itself, we'll have to see. Yep, I would agree with that. It's quite easy to, to open airlines right now. You know, you can get the staff quite easily. The planes are quite cheap. But yeah, actually getting the customers when when proper volumes come back is going to be tricky. Those three bigger airline groups that we have here, Malaysia Airlines, AirAsia and Melindo, you know, they were in fierce competition before the pandemic. The market was pretty much oversupplied, which, as you said, is great for, for people who fly within the country. We had great options every single day, a huge amount of choice of flights that we could take. The prices were really, really good. Two new airlines entering that scenario it will be interesting once you know once competition really does start to flow again. Let's move on to Indonesia then. Um, so obviously, same news as Singapore. We've got this this travel bubble coming up. Um, and there's, there's always more talk about Bali. So Sandiaga Uno, who is the Minister for Tourism and Creative Economy, has said that the government is going to encourage an increase in the number of airlines with international routes entering Bali ahead of the G20. But you really get the feeling that Bali, this year, it's all about the G20. I think if it, if it doesn't support the G20 somehow, it's, it's not going to happen. I think they're going to fight very fiercely to protect the status of holding this really prestigious event. What do you think? Yeah, well, it does look very much like that. And it's looked like that for uh, two or three months now, hasn't it? We, we, we said this towards the end of last year, that it did look as though G20 was going to be the focus of everything. But that doesn't happen until later in the year. And, you know, if other competitor destinations around the, the region are open for months before that, you know, what's, what's the actual economic planning for Bali? I mean, it's okay hosting one particular event, but, it, you know, it could be cocooned while everywhere else is... Uh, is making moves to, to bring back travel and tourism. So I guess we have to, to watch and wait. Indonesia is a really difficult country to, to second guess, um, and we'll see what happens. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that does seem to be what the, the policy is right now. Let's wait and see when other countries reopen and see if it uh, changes its position. Absolutely. And let's finish with some positive news, right? We'll finish with Laos. We, we don't talk about it that often, but uh, it's, it's always fun when we do. And of course, they reopened um, on the 1st of January and they've had their first arrivals. It was a group of uh, South Korean school children on a, on a school trip. 
but finally they did it they reopened they have international visitors and so um, i mean from from what i've seen I, I think it it still doesn't look like they have a huge flow of inbound travelers right now but at least if you're in the tourism industry you you can see some kind of progress has been made i think yeah i would agree i mean our man in in vientiane Jason Rowland, who we've had on the show three or four times, his forum on, on Facebook, you know, there is still a lot of talk within the travel industry that Laos is not really moving fast enough with a lot of its protocols, with its uh, getting uh, airlines and, and flights into the country. But yeah, you're right. And you've got to start somewhere. I think it will be a popular destination. There's so much about Laos that many, many travelers don't know about. It's got this new train service through the country. There's, there's a lot of reasons to visit Laos. Let's hope that this year is uh, is a real rebound for it. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings us to the end of our 2022 Lunar New Year Travel Roundup show. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and don't forget to send us your thoughts and comments on what we discussed or anything we missed out. Drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Yep. Meanwhile, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue on our website, www.theseasiatravelshow.com. And of course, you can listen to every single episode from the last two years, including this one, on all the various international podcast platforms. Again, just search for the Southeast Asia Travel Show on each one. And please remember, if you tune in to us via Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as some 60% of our listeners do across those two platforms, please give us a quick rating and a review as that helps other people to find the show. So that's a wrap for today, and we'll both return next Friday with the start of a new series called Two Years of Travel Disruption. We look forward to speaking to you then. Bye.